Welcome to Ragbag's Fourth Wall, Part 4. My name's Frank Burton. Now we've been talking about podcasting, we've been talking about books and writing and putting together the Ragbag podcast. Now in Part 4, we're going to be talking about music. Of course, music. Let's get into it. Yes, let's indeed get into it, Frank. <laughs> Thanks, Frank, for that intro. Um, and now I have, uh, yeah, I'm still struggling with the idea that there is more than one of me. Um, but it is true. I mean, uh, there's a fictional Frank and a real Frank. You are talking to the real Frank at the moment. And uh, as you have been for the last few episodes. So we're on Ragbag's Fourth Wall Part 4. If you haven't heard the other three, then yeah, go back and listen to them. They're, they're good as well. It's just me talking about stuff at the moment. So we're on episode 99. The next episode is going to be fantastic, by the way. Episode 100 is the grand finale of the Ragbag podcast because it's finishing. It's finishing. And it's well, it's not finishing as such. It's morphing into a um, storytelling show. It is going to be an accompaniment to the series of novels that I've been putting out. Um, Everything I Am and Getting Away With It being the first two. The next one is going to form the basis of the uh, pod, well, season one of Ragbag Presents, which is going to be the new name for this show. And I'll release that as a book later on. It's going to be called Brollywood. It's going to be the third book in the Ragbag series. I hope this all makes some kind of sense to you. So, in other words, um, Ragbag is going to stop being a music-based show, which is a shame, to be honest with you, because I've really enjoyed um, doing the music and um, talking to musicians and playing music and selecting which tracks to put on it's been absolutely great Um, so it is a bit of a shame that I'm stopping doing it it's just a decision that I've made uh, I suppose partly as well there's lots of reasons so let's get into it so why did I start doing a music podcast and why did I stop two questions there Um, the first one's quite easy to answer I mean it's quite obvious why I started isn't it I like music and music's great (laughs) I don't yeah. I asked myself the question and then I kind of dismissed the question as though it was a stupid thing to say um, there really is two of me isn't it it's kind of a dialogue between these two sides of uh, you see um, you see what a complex and interesting guy I am that's basically it I mean uh, I'd listened to a few music podcasts and thought you know uh, I could do better than this uh, arrogantly you know what I mean um I think mostly because most music, you know, most music radio and most music podcasts are genre specific. So you'll have like this. I'm really into drum and bass, for example. So I, I listen to quite a few drum and bass podcasts. The best one, by far, in my opinion, is the Noisier one. Uh, Noisier Radio, I think it's called. Uh, fantastic. Uh, they're um, one of the best kind of groups who are producing drum and bass. I I think, to be fair, they've stopped now. (laughs) But they were. They were one of the best. Um, They're still doing other things. I think they've just gone their separate ways. And I think there's three of them, and they've gone their separate ways doing doing their own kind of thing in the, presumably in the drum and bass world. Maybe they've branched off into other things. I don't know. Why does that... It's doing that again, isn't it? It's making that noise. We heard that uh, last time as well, that I don't know what to do to get rid of it. There we have it. So, yeah, I mean, just a straightforward answer is that I really like music. And um, I, uh, you know, in terms of my own personal like listening habits, I've just kind of really into the underground independent stuff just because it appeals to me more than mainstream stuff. It's not that I've, I've, I'm not trying to be cool or, or anything in particular like that it's just that i think underground music is better than mainstream music as a general rule and i mean there's so much of it as well there's so much stuff that you can discover online through my main kind of sources for the podcast at least have been uh the internet archive and uh bandcamp of course bandcamp I still kind of use Bandcamp to download music and listen to music, and it's just a wonderful thing. And also the Free Music Archive as well, I've been using that. And what's the other one called? Gemendo? I always get the name wrong. I think it's called Gemendo. Yeah, and that that's kind of uh, free music that you can download as well. 
the reason for using some of these sites is that you can uh, you don't have to worry too much about the copywriting things so if things are on a creative commons license then you don't need to have permission to play it from anybody you can just play it on the podcast whereas kind of if i was if i wanted to play a rolling stones track <laughs> or something not that i not that i particularly would i think they've got enough exposure already don't they but if i wanted to uh yeah maybe i'll i'll play um i can't get no satisfaction by the rolling stones just in case no one's ever heard it and um i would have to go through all of these processes i'll probably have to pay loads of money as well have it on but i think actually the rules have changed now because i've been hearing about that through someone who was telling me about something to do with if you release a podcast using anchor then you can play anything that's available on spotify and you can just play it on the podcast so i could technically i could i could i probably could play the rolling stones now without any copyright issues without any infringement issues unless i kind of did something or like remixed it or something i guess but maybe i can maybe i can remix it no no one really cares about that sort of stuff anymore because everything can be just streamed online you know you can i can put it on youtube for free and anyone can watch anything at all or listen to anything at all through spotify so you know it's all kind of changed in the last uh so I, I think i think actually in the last like three or four years since i've started um things were a lot more stricter things were a lot more stricter <laughs> i said it yes i used a grammatical inaccuracy there uh, things are a lot more stricter in those days, in those heady days of 2018. Um, things were different back then. Um, you couldn't play any kind of, you know, anything from a major label on a podcast. You get in lots of trouble for it. That's not to say that, that people didn't do it. And lots of people did it and they just got away with it because I think, you know, who cares at the end of the day? I don't think anyone really cares. I've I've got very few listeners really so if if i was to play a rolling stones track i'd probably just get away with it i don't think anyone i don't think mick jagger would be phoning me up saying where's my royalties frank i don't think he would do that but um that aside i mean i didn't bother going down that road because uh, it would be pretty pointless playing the rolling stones you know um it's good to kind of get this kind of music that generally hasn't been heard by a lot of people and just sticking it on the podcast and, uh, you know, getting it to a slightly wider audience. You know, I am acknowledging again that not a lot of people listen to my podcast and that that's cool in itself. You know, it's, it's good to be, it's good to be obscure. <laughs> uh, it has its own, it has its, I was thinking about this the other day. I, I think there was once a time when I wanted to be famous, when I was starting out writing, I had, you know, big dreams of being a best-selling author. Now I just can't be bothered with that. I think, um, fame just doesn't appeal to me at all really doesn't especially just especially having a recognizable face and kind of walking down the street and people kind of looking at you and stuff don't like the sound of that at all i mean if you're a right if you're a famous writer i mean it's different because you know people probably don't recognize famous writers i mean even stephen king could probably get away with just walking down the street and not that many people would recognize him put a hat on stephen and uh, just cover up, <laughs> cover up your face. Take them glasses off, and you know you could be anyone, really, couldn't you? <laughs> Take them glasses off. <laughs> Does he wear glasses? I think I've seen him in glasses. I don't know. Um, I'm, sorry, I'm really just I'm rambling now, aren't I? But um, anyway, so that's the reasons for starting it. Just like music, and um, I thought it'd be good to kind of combine different elements as well. So have playing music and doing the character comedy stuff and. Um, the storytelling and the, and the novels just kind of came, were, they were not part of the plan at all, at all. I had absolutely no intention of writing a series of novels based on the podcast when I started. But that's just the way it happened. It evolved quite naturally and, uh, you know, it just seemed to be, yeah, let's go with this. Let's go with this idea and run with it. So that's what we're doing. And now it's become, that is the podcast, the storytelling elements the kind of tie-in with the novel series that is the podcast now and I'm stopping doing music uh, and uh, you know I've got good reason to do it I think that the storytelling elements of the show are the best elements in my opinion and I think that's what I do best uh, I'm pretty damn good as a music podcaster though uh, I have to say I'm, pre I'm pretty damn good 
I think the selection of music that I play is great and I've had some really really great guests on as well I'm really pleased with uh, the way that it's gone and I from a personal level I've been able to meet some of my personal heroes it's absolutely amazing that I've interviewed David Ivar from Herman Dune twice turns out he's a really nice guy as well I've been a fan of his for 20 years you know same with Fred Voss I interviewed Fred Voss and he's an absolute legend as far as I'm concerned and um He's a really nice guy, you know, had a really nice conversation with him for an hour over the phone. And, you know, he was in his home in California and I was uh, I was over here in Manchester. And it was uh, just a nice thing to do. And uh, step back and think about it. I'm talking to one of my all time heroes. Absolutely amazing. He's not even a musician, you know, <laughs> he's a poet. I just thought, yeah, I'll just uh, I'll just branch out a little bit into just talking to some cool people. It doesn't have to be about music. So that was nice. And um, yeah, just have some amazing guests on. I'd read Paley on. I mean, you know, that's, uh, that's amazing. And uh, all sorts of other people as well. I think everybody that I've had on has been absolutely great. And they've given a great interview as well. Despite my occasional, you know, lack of professionalism in terms of not professionalism. What am I saying? When I started, I was a bit crap at doing the interviews. I just didn't know what to say. I was a little bit nervous as well and also when I've like the first time I met um, David Eva I was very nervous because I was kind of you know uh, I'm a really big fan of his and um, you know I just wasn't sure what I uh, wasn't sure whether he'd like me or not <laughs> you know what I mean those kind of insecurities that you have when you're meeting your idols uh, but you know we kind of settled into it and it was kind of um, it got you know just ended up having a nice relaxed conversation and uh, it was good so yeah, I'm, I'm very, very happy that I've done it. Um, but um, that being said, I think that, uh, you know, the podcast itself, because it's more than one thing, that's probably the downfall of, of uh, the... If I was to do 100% and like focus 100% on music, I think it would be better. Um, I think the best music podcasts are the ones that are just music without any of the other elements that, that I introduced. So, I mean, you know, there's some great music podcasts out there, which I can't really compete. I don't really see myself as being in competition with anybody else. But at the same time, it, I acknowledge the fact that I can't compete with, with certain things like, you know, Broken Record. That's a, a really great music podcast if you haven't um, heard it. And, you know, a lot more people listen to that than listen to this at the end of the day. So, you know, check out Broken Record if you want to hear a music podcast that is very, very good. Um, that's kind of an interview based one you know I mentioned Chris's one um, a couple of weeks ago uh, Chris Olden does Back to Britpop which is uh, if you're into that sort of era of British rock music from the 90s then definitely check that out because uh, the, he's had some really great guests on and uh, yeah Chris is really good at doing the interviews as well and um, I have mentioned on, on the uh, I did a little promo for Freight Train Boogie on on a rag bag a few months back i really like freight train boogie that's kind of a, a proper music show it's kind of um it's just americana kind of country rock and uh you know anything anything that qualifies as americana is in there you know americana i think is a, is a very broad term isn't it i think it just, i don't know what it means i think it just means american music so yeah but um that that's a great show i've discovered quite a lot of uh, really good music that I've investigated after it as well. I suppose that's the point of it, isn't it? It's kind of getting kind of these obscure artists out there and finding a larger audience for them. And um, yeah, so while I'm in the business of recommending podcasts, uh, definitely check out Freight Train Boogie because um, it's fantastic. I hope that answers your question, Frank, about why I started and why I stopped. But um, if it doesn't, well, you know, Screw you, man. That's my answer. So there you go. Um, but I was going to talk about music on a general level as well, just to, uh, I, I don't know why, just to have a chat about it, really, just to see um, what comes out. I haven't really prepared anything, but let's go for it. Something that occurred to me the other day was, um, you know, this um, people talk about unpopular opinions at the moment. It's a bit, a bit of a buzzword nowadays, isn't it? Unpopular opinion. And um it annoys me that I don't like that term because whenever you hear somebody use it, it's usually they say, oh, unpopular opinion here, guys. And then they'll say their unpopular opinion. 
it's just an opinion. You know, it's just an opinion. Nine times out of ten, it's not particularly unpopular. You know what I mean? It's not like you're saying uh, uh, Mussolini was a very underrated fellow, wasn't he? You know, that's an unpopular opinion. <laughs> or is it? I mean, there are some people who would agree with you. So is it an unpopular opinion? I don't know. I hope it is. Jesus. I, hope, I really do hope that's an unpopular opinion. Who knows? But um, the opinion that I've got, and I'm sticking with it, so don't, like, like, don't come back at me and say you're wrong about this, Frank. It's just the way that I feel, okay? So don't be upset when I say this. Just, um, I thought th this is a very good insight into my own musical taste. And, uh, you know, it's one of those facts that you can tell a lot about a person if they tell you this particular opinion of theirs. So the insight that I will give you into my own musical taste is that the Pet Shop Boys, for me, were a lot more important and are a better band than the Beatles were. There you go. <laughs> I said it. So, um, and I do think that, I mean, the Beatles are good. You know, I think the Beatles are a, a decent band. <laughs> a decent, you know, you can see you can see why they were so popular and you can see why, you know, so many people idolise them even today. But for me, it's just, um, I would say the Pet Shop Boys songs operate on a higher level to most pop music, including that of Lennon and McCartney. The Pet Shop Boys uh, wrote and continue to write songs about the complexity of human relationships and sometimes even the complexity of life itself and the complexity of society. You know, that that's one thing that the Beatles didn't really do. I mean, the Beatles were great at what they did. And, you know, Eleanor Rigby, for example, that's one of my favourite songs, as a matter of fact. But, you know, it's it's a straightforward song in a lot of ways. It's a song about loneliness. And so it's not a complicated song. It's a song about look at all the lonely people. That's that's fantastic. But I think what interests me more uh, in terms of songwriting, I'm looking at it from a writer's point of view as well, because I always kind of pick up on the lyrics quite a lot and kind of quite often I have been influenced by songs that I like in terms of the stories that I write and the books that I write. So um, I, I think the Pet Shop Boys songs are um, no exception in that. I've been a fan of them since I was a little kid. I think that they may have been the first band that I really properly got into, I think, in terms of like pop music, because I was very young when I got into them. And I probably didn't fully appreciate the complexity of the lyrics at that time. I just kind of liked, you know, the sound of it, and I, I like their, I like their personality. I like the fact that they weren't the kind of people who you'd expect to see, uh, you know, on stage as pop stars. They were just kind of two kind of normal, kind of boring-looking guys, <laughs> and uh, but you know that they started dressing in these elaborate costumes, which I thought was very funny and, and very uh, interesting. And uh, yeah, just a song, just a vocal delivery as well. It's just, just like a normal guy. He's just like a normal fella, just talking about his life. And uh, but you know, looking back on the stuff that they produced in the eighties, listen back to the album Introspective. By the way, it's absolutely amazing. It's really stood the test of time, and the songs on there are great. But also the music is great as well. And uh, you know, it's uh, where else are you going to hear? you know, a cover of an Elvis Presley song, sung in that particular way, and then kind of remixed. It's kind of the version of Always On My Mind that's on the introspective album is called Always On My Mind slash In My House, and it turns into like a house track. After he's sung the song, it kind of, yeah, kind of develops into something else, um, which is really cool. Yeah, so there you go. That's the introspective album. But also, you know, just kind of the lyrical content of the stuff that they, they were putting out. What one kind of uh, song that has really stuck with me, I, I wasn't a particular fan of it at the time, like I thought they did better songs at the time, but I think maybe the ultimate Pet Shop Boys song for me would have to be What Have I Done to Deserve This? It's uh, it's so good it's because it's kind, of like, it's kind of like two songs are being sung at once. You've got the Dusty Springfield bit, which is kind of like a, a kind of 60s style pop song. 
and then you've got the uh, Pet Shop Boys elements, which is kind of Neil Tennant just kind of talking uh, over top of the music, and it's it's kind of it's a great juxtaposition. Yes, juxtaposition. I also tend to be drawn towards singers or bands or groups or whatever who seem to be taking some kind of influence from the Pet Shop Boys. I was uh, a big fan of TV Girl, who are an American band. I don't know if they've even heard of the Pet Shop Boys. I don't know if they have or not. I don't know anything about them. I played, on episode one of Ragbag, I played a song by TV Girl called Taking What's Not Yours. And uh, I think that's a really, really brilliant song. It's a combination, and this is what the Pet Shop Boys do really well, it's a combination of humour and details from everyday life with also kind of something else going on as well in terms of some kind of, you know, existential angst that goes into it as well. <laughs> all those different combinations all, all within kind of what appears to be a light-hearted pop song, but uh, also has that kind of darkness to it. And Taking What's Not Yours by TV Girl is just, on the surface, it's just like a funny song about things that, this guy has left in ex-girlfriend's apartments and he's kind of listing all of these things that he's left behind and things that things that they have of, of his and um it's just kind of a, all these funny lines in like um one of the things on the list is a copy of gravity's rainbow that she probably didn't read and that, that made me laugh because i i have a copy of Gra gravity's rainbow on my shelf which i haven't read it's one of those lines from a song that not everyone is going to get, but people who do get it are kind of like, yeah, nice one, nice. And he's talking about uh, the ring that he left behind and she's wearing his ring. And he describes the ring as a captive little soldier on her finger, deep behind enemy lines. What a brilliant line that is. It's fantastic. But it's it's also little bits like that, that um, it's got, the, the song is kind of about relationships and the way that all that you have left of a relationship is just these random objects kind of meaningless objects and it kind of it kind of gets into that idea of the sort of meaninglessness of these relationships and kind of you know for me it's kind of a, a song about it's quite a bleak song really it's about sort of how how, how superficial things are in the end uh, so it, it's kind of it's a funny song, but also it's kind of uh, kind of a sad song about breakups as well in the background. You know, even with these funny lines and the, the lines that make you laugh, I'm sure that uh, Herman Dune isn't influenced by the Pet Shop Boys at all. But um, I know that you know his songs kind of work in a very similar way as well. Just uh, there's a lot of kind of humour in them. And uh, I, I spoke to him about it when I interviewed him, and I said that you know your songs kind of have that ability, have that power to kind of make you laugh and also make you cry at the same time. I think that's what I like about the Lou Reed song as well. I think I'm going to play the song for Lou, it is called, which is Herman Dune's tribute to Lou Reed. I think I'm going to play it on episode 100. For me, it's a really inspirational song because it's, it's doing what I try to do in my writing all of the time. And what I try to do is just kind of take an idea and explore it and look at all the different thoughts that the idea provokes in your mind, even if they're a stupid thought. They could be a ridiculous thought, or they, they could be a valid thought. But just get all of those thoughts out and explore them. In Song for Lou, kind of, it's about David's reaction to the death of Lou Reed. And what he's doing with that song is just exploring all the different feelings that he had about the death of Lou Reed and all the different thoughts and memories and, and everything that that provoked. And he's just kind of written written it all down, but he's written it down in a way that, you know, it, it's in rhyming couplets, you know. It's, so it's not, it's not just rambling on. He's, he's doing it in a very structured and a very interesting way. So, uh, you know, the song the chorus of the song goes, it's strange to miss a person that you never knew. And that it's, it's a brilliant line that it's kind of, it, it says it all really. It's kind of like, he's sad about the death of Lou Reed, but he didn't know the guy. So why, why am I sad is what he's saying to himself. And he's exploring that idea of why, why am I upset by the death of someone I never met? And then he goes into the, 
he provides the evidence almost as to why that is because Lou Reed was a great songwriter and he was an inspiration to him and so on and so on uh, but then he slips in these other things like he has this story about he was going to go and see him in concert but he didn't go and uh, it's just funny it's just because he, he's kind of making fun of, of Lou he was, he was probably doing <laughs> he probably was just doing some of his weird experimental stuff that wasn't going to be any good so I didn't I didn't bother going but now he's dead and I can't see him live so I was wrong <laughs> uh, that made me laugh and also there is there's an actual there's a recording that you can see on YouTube of um, David performing the song live in front of an audience and you can hear the audience laughing at, at the funny lines that he comes out with um because he's talking about like things that he's read about Lou Reed and like he's not sure whether Lou Reed was like a nice guy or not um some people say that he was a bully and, and stuff like that and um uh, but he concludes that little section with this line he says uh, maybe you have to have a part of you that's creepy <laughs> and I, that that kind of got that I've got a nice little laugh from the audience, and uh, it did make me laugh as well. I think it's the, but it's such a moving song as well. It's a really kind of uh, it's a really sad song, you know, as well as being a very funny song. So it's uh, I think it might it might be the only song that I can accurately describe as having made me both laugh and cry. You know, um, but there's also, I mean, he, he also did a song called Green Cassette, which was um, a tribute to David Berman of the, is he called David Berman? I think he is, yes, of the Silver Juice. So, and that's a very sad song because of the circumstances of Berman's death, because I believe he took his own life a few years back. And uh, the Silver Juice are a big influence on Herman Dune. So it's a really, really nice song. It's a re really kind of heartfelt tribute to David Berman um, but also it's it's it done along the same lines as Song for Lou as well it's kind of it, it's just uh, David talking about himself in effect uh, talking about his own reaction to that person's death and he's not kind of putting any words into the other person's mouth or making any claims on that other person's behalf it's just literally his reaction to that person's death and uh, yeah, I mean, they actually, unlike unlike Lou Reed, they actually did meet and he talks about the time that he met him and he talks about what they talked about. And he says, like, yeah, I really hoped that we could have been friends, uh, but it was not to be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's uh, it's really nicely done. It's a really beautiful song, that one. I think I'll play them both. Shall I play them both? I'll play them both on the um, on the last episode. That'd be a nice little ending to it, won't it? Yeah. But um, there you have it. So Pet Shop Boys are better than the Beatles. Fact. <laughs> Please don't get in touch with me and tell me that I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> what else? What have I been listening to recently? Um, I'm sure you'd be, like to hear about these things, wouldn't you? The thing is, like, uh, because I'm not doing the podcast anymore, that the things that I discover now are, are just like for me. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not going to put them on the podcast and I'm not going to kind of interview the person and talk to them about which is a shame really because i like i like doing that and i like sort of finding out about you know my favorite artists in effect there's a artist who i've just discovered called freshard she's like a singer songwriter french um but living in germany i believe yeah absolutely brilliant really really good along very very similar lines to what i just described Herman Dune, very very similar songs to Herman Dune actually um, I don't know if uh, the two uh, know about each other or not because this is the thing with kind of this kind of music, like there's so much music out there, like, people don't one person wouldn't necessarily know who another person was, you know that's the way it goes with the, with the, with the underground isn't it but yeah Freshard's absolutely amazing really great I've, I haven't listened to all of her albums yet there's quite a few of them, I've just listened to two of the albums but I've got to say, I mean, they blew me away. Really great. And, um, yeah, it's a shame. I mean, a few months ago, I would have been straight on. To, uh, there's an email address on the Bandcamp page. I would have gone straight on to that. And go, You've got to come on my podcast, man. You've got to hear more about you. Yeah, it was not to be. Maybe I'll. Um, maybe once I've got uh, my head together. <laughs> head together? Maybe once I've got things together for 
I like the sound which I'm having a break from. Maybe I'll get some kind of uh, cool guests to come on that because that's kind of like a continuation of my... I'm going to be sort of mentioning musical stuff in the I Like The Sound podcast. So my career as a music podcaster is not necessarily over. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely would like to hear from Fresh Eye. If, if she'll uh, indulge me in this way, I don't know if she would. It's a decent size hit rate, actually. They're, I mean, probably 50-50, I would say. Like, of the people that I have approached for an interview, probably 50% of them said yes, and the other 50%, you know, didn't get back to me or said they weren't able to do it or stuff like that. So uh, it's, it's a pretty, pretty good hit rate, that, actually, I would say. I mean, I've when I started doing it, I expected virtually no one to say yes. You know, and, and, and I've, I've got kind of people who were pretty big saying yes to me, you know, I had Reed Paley said yes to me. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. But yeah, I, th- I think it's an underexplored thing within podcasting. I think that's a lot of the people that I interviewed for Ragbag just haven't done a podcast before. They've never been interviewed on a podcast. They've been interviewed for kind of music publications or like, uh, you know, quite a few of them have been on the radio, but uh, very few of them have actually been, on a podcast before which is pretty cool I think one of the uh, artists who I wasn't able to secure on the podcast um, there's a band called Pascal Pinon who for my money are the best band in the world right now and uh, they're a duo the twin sisters one of them also has a solo career as JFDR who's a, a great artist as well in her own right but um, my favorite stuff of theirs is the the three pascal pin on albums there have been three of them there's uh sundor which is the most recent one there's twosomeness and another one that i can't remember the name of um let's see what the first album was called oh yeah it's called st as in soundtrack i think yeah so there we go but um yeah a really amazing band and uh it's uh in terms of, again, it's kind of responding to the lyrical content of their songs, I think that Pascal Pinon songs, and also the same would apply to JFDR songs as well. They're, they're very, very good at, again, doing that thing that I said that Herman Dune does, but exploring lots of different areas all at once. So this is probably a big generalisation to make, but I would say that most songs are about a moment in time. They're about, this is the way that I feel right now about this one particular thing. Whereas I like songs that kind of tell a story for a start. So I like storytelling within songs because you get, it's more about, it's more than just a moment in time then. It's a, it's about, it could be about a whole person's life or it could be a like a whole thing that happened to somebody that took them on some kind of journey. And, you know, as a listener to the song, it takes you on that same journey as well. But I think, Pascal Pennon's songs are very good at looking at, it's not just about a moment in time, it's about this is how I feel now, this is how I used to feel, and this is how I anticipate I will feel at a later time. It's, I, I don't know if they've deliberately done this, like they've deliberately set out to make that the model of each of their songs. Probably not, because it's not really the model of all of their songs, but it's kind of a, a recurring thing that I've noticed from listening to them. My favourite song of theirs, which I've also described as being my favourite song of all time, and I played it on the I Like The Sound podcast, and I introduced it as my favourite song of all time. It's a song called Orange, and it's just about... Actually, similar theme to the TV Girl song. Um, I can see a pattern emerging here. So she's kind of talking about all of her past relationships and the way that she's moved from one lover to another lover and... um, now she's with somebody else and it has that kind of bleakness to it as well kind of the uh the one of the lines in the chorus goes kind of nothing ever stays the same um so it's about that it's about how nothing ever stays the same and looking back on past relationships and this is what i used to be like and this is what this relationship was like and now that is no more because nothing ever stays the same and it's kind of like a sad song in that respect, but then it kind of ends on this kind of note of positivity. She changes the line to, I hope that nothing stays the same. She's talking about a current situation 
and the person that she's with now and she says I hope that nothing stays the same and uh, it's just beautifully done you know that is why it's um, the best song ever written just listen to it yourself and uh, make up <laughs> make up your own mind as to whether it is the greatest song ever written I think that it is not just for that I think it's just the way that it sounds it sounds it's just got a perfect kind of sound to it yeah I'm, I'm a sucker for a good uh, piano led ballad as well so that's part of it as well as part of it big fan of Nick Cave obviously um for that same reason I guess I saw Nick Cave um just before the just before the pandemic I went to see Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds play in Manchester Arena massive uh, arena show and kind of he kept on saying like cuz I think that um he was never like an, an a big arena selling act and throughout his career that has been going on since the early 80s he was playing the smaller venues and he just kept saying like I, I can't believe I'm playing this this venue um you know but everybody there was massive massive fan of Nick Cave so there you go that that's how you sell an arena you just get loads and loads of people to, <laughs> you just get loads and loads of people to be really big fans of you um yeah I love him so somebody somebody shouted out he, he kind of um he has this great kind of stage presence you know just because of the way that he is I guess and he just kind of walked really casually onto the stage at the start of the show and just walked kind of casually up to the microphone like it was no big deal and somebody shouted out I love you kind of uh, replied uh, without like, smiling or anything he just kind of said oh, I'm glad we got that cleared up <laughs> I won't get too far into Nick Cave because I could spend I literally spend hours talking about Nick Cave songs and um, you've probably heard of him, right? Whereas um, you haven't necessarily heard of Pascal Pinon. I can't believe that Pascal Pinon aren't massive. You know what I mean? They're Icelandic, which I guess kind of puts them... I guess that puts them at a slight disadvantage in terms of major label success and stuff like that. I guess it does. I don't know whether it does or not. You know, there have been large acts from Iceland before, so, you know... It's not beyond, it's not out of the question. But yeah, it's uh, it's surprising that. But I mean, you could say that about almost anyone. You know, you could say that about Spartan Jetplex, who is also one of my favourite artists. And um, you may well have heard of Spartan Jetplex because I've played their music on Ragbag before. And of course, we had the Grimalkin Records documentary as well, which... Grim from Spartan Jetplex, they are the label boss, the, the boss of the label. Go back and listen to the Grimalkin Records special. But again, you know, I listen to Spartan Jetplex's music and I just can't can't believe that Spartan Jetplex isn't selling out stadiums right now. Uh, but that's the way it goes, isn't it? I mean, you, you don't get to choose who's big and who's not big. Uh, I guess the industry gets to choose or, or just it just kind of happens by accident sometimes I guess I mean I don't know who who could have predicted that Ed Sheeran would be the biggest selling artist in the world <laughs> I, I don't want I, I, I've said enough disparaging things about Ed Sheeran I don't want to get into it now but it's it really is baffling that he is the biggest selling artist in the world really is it's really odd very very strange that he's the biggest selling artist in the world it's not it's not that he's particularly bad it's just that he's not particularly good and that 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 is the puzzling thing isn't it it's very very strange but that that's just the way that it works i mean there's no point getting worked up about why isn't why, why isn't my favorite artist the biggest artist in the world it's the way it is because they're not but you know it happens sometimes though i mean you know like i was saying nick cave was selling out arenas he sold out the o2 as well and uh, went on this massive tour and you know well-deserved success obviously again there are people who are equally good as Nick Cave uh, you know the people that I just mentioned I think all of them are but they're just not as big as he is just the way that it goes now I haven't even mentioned electronic music uh, very much and that probably constitutes about 50% at least of the music that I listen to it's kind of instrumental 
electronic music. I absolutely love it. You would probably guess that if you've listened to the uh, podcast, right? But um, I don't know. I don't have a lot to say on this subject because I'm not an expert on... I'm not kind of musically trained, uh, particularly not in electronic music. I don't know any of the terminology of... Uh, I don't really know sort of the process of how people put these things together and, uh, you know... I'm not able to analyse it on any kind of critical level in the same way that I can with songs because uh, I'm kind of a, you know, I'm a wordsmith so I look at the words and I can talk about the words in a song but when it comes to instrumental music I don't really have that much to say apart from I like that or I don't particularly like that or, you know, that made me feel quite good <laughs> you know, I don't have much to say about it but um, I've definitely got some recommendations for you though um, there's label a lot of great things coming out of the South American region. Panel Records. Check out that label, Panel Records. Um, I've played um, a couple of tracks from Elias Dietman in the past. Elias Dietman's album, Life from Mars. And if, well, he's done other ones on Panel Records as well. It's just a great label altogether. They put out some great compilations and stuff. Likewise, there's a label based in Chile called Celo Regional. I was going to get somebody from a label on the podcast. It's another one of those ones that kind of fell through. And it's it's a shame because there's quite a few, because uh, I love kind of music from that region. And it's I've had a few people who I've tried to get on the podcast. But there's the, I think the main thing has been the language barrier because just a lot of these musicians don't speak English or don't speak English very well. So it's like, you know, that they're, they're a little bit not sure how to go about, how to go through with the interview. Now, I tried different tactics of maybe we could correspond, you know, via the written word, and then I'd get somebody to read it out, I'd get somebody to read the answers out to the questions. And um, we were going to go down that road. I was going to go down that road with a couple of people. It just didn't happen. It just kind of didn't happen in the end. And, yeah, Cello Region, I was one of those. But it's an absolutely amazing label. Uh, they put out some really great, compilations and uh you know really great other releases as well <laughs> other releases that aren't compilations what are they called uh you know singles and albums and eps and that <laughs> but um yeah definitely the great starting point would be the compilation albums that cello regional put out i would say actually those compilations are a great introduction to that kind of music the kind of music that i'm talking about electronic music coming out of South America. I know it's a very broad region. To South America is a very large continent, right? And the thing is, on these compilations, the music is very, very diverse. There's lots of different styles, and it's it's all so good. Like, every single one is different to every single other one. And But every single track on those compilations are just, uh, you know, blow you away. It's great stuff. really is. Uh, so I reckon that is a really good starting point for this kind of music that I'm talking about. If you're not familiar with it, definitely check out the Cello Regional compilations. Repeating myself, I like the way that Jay Hatchidazola, <laughs> when I interviewed him and he talked about his greatest hits compilation. I'm putting out a compilation, Frank. It's great. And it, 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 he kind of overused the word compilation as well. It was uh, It was nice. So um, there is that. There's an, a, one particular band that I've been listening to from that region. I'm not, I can't remember exactly where it is that they're from now. But the name of the band is Bomba Estereo. And they mostly sing in Spanish. Sometimes, sometimes they um, do a bit of English language stuff as well. But it's mostly singing in Spanish. And it's just great. It's kind of great pop music, actually, I would say. It's, uh, it's quite commercial sounding. I don't know if they're... I really don't know if they're big or whether they're really obscure. It's one of those things with like when you discover things because uh, I I was just on Spotify for a bit. I came off it again because I'd rather go on Bandcamp to listen to stuff on there. But um, I kind of discovered Bomber Stereo through like a playlist that I was on on Spotify and I kind of checked all of their albums out. Absolutely brilliant band. And again, like I do not know whether that they could be the biggest, one of the biggest bands in the world, <laughs> or they could just be like regular people with regular jobs who do a bit of music on the side. Really, don't, got no idea. But I quite like that. I quite like the idea of not knowing that. 
and just being really into their music and not knowing whether they're famous or not. That's quite an interesting, you know, thing to consider, I guess. And in a way, it just doesn't matter, does it? I mean, it's just great music. Like I was saying, if I was in the business of interviewing musicians still, you know, these would be some of the people I'd be getting in touch with right now and getting in touch with them and saying, you know, can I interview you for my podcast? And, you know, it'd be interesting to hear what they said because <laughs> maybe they'd come back to me and said, no, sorry, we're just on a massive sellout world tour, every country in the world. So we can't do that because we're extremely rich and famous, but thanks for the offer. Or they, or they might say, yeah, um, I'm just uh, I'm finishing in the office at, at uh, 5.30, I'll talk to you after then. You know, it could be that, couldn't it? Absolutely no idea whether they're famous or not. So, yeah, interesting thought, interesting thought. Who else was I listening to when I went on the on the Spotify's? Well, I, I was uh, reinvestigating Thomas Truax, actually, because I went to see Thomas Truax live. It was the first gig post-pandemic. Me and some friends went to go and see Thomas Truax, uh, who I interviewed, of course, on the Ragbag podcast, and is uh, absolutely brilliant and such a such a great entertainer. What a great night that was. He's uh, such an eccentric performer, but absolutely brilliant. I, I absolutely love his stuff. And uh, he's, if you get a chance to see Thomas Truax live, um, he's got all of his kind of his homemade instruments and gadgets. And it's just him on stage with all these all this equipment and machinery. And he's just kind of making the music and doing using kind of loop pedals to kind of sample these kind of weird sounds and kind of singing over top of it and putting on these kind of <laughs> crazy uh, kind of contraptions that he puts over top of his head. And it's, yeah, it's just really, really funny. It's just very, very funny. And, and but such great songs as well. Great songs. What a great guy as well. Yeah, it's a, it a privilege to have, uh, to have met him, I think. So yeah, definitely uh, check out Mr. Truax. Uh, his, his tour's probably finished now. His UK tour's probably finished, but I'm sure he will be doing more live dates as time goes on so yeah that, that's my live music recommendation for you there thomas truax what a guy also on the spotify i was um listening to jonathan richmond who i've always liked but i uh haven't properly kind of got into him uh until very recently until i started listening to his new stuff and his old stuff so the old stuff he the first uh modern lovers album from the mid 70s what a brilliant album that is it's that so up my street it's one of those things you listen to it and it feels like it was made for you you know one of those albums that's that's how i feel about that first modern lovers album which i'm sure i must have heard it um years and years and years ago because i was i was really into punk i had a big sort of punk phase when i was a teenager in the 90s I just kind of got hold of as many kind of records from that era and listened to as much stuff as I could at that time. And some of it I just kind of listened to once or twice and then forgot about. And I'm sure I, I'm sure I did get hold of um, Modern Lovers album at that time. And then maybe I wasn't ready for it. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't mature enough to appreciate the Modern Lovers, but I definitely am now. I think uh, that album in particular, but also Jonathan Richmond. It, throughout his, he's had a very long career he's still going and you know going bang up to date like his last album was fantastic as well he really is still at the top of his game so definitely check out Johnny from Richmond I'm uh, bombarding you with stuff really here aren't I but um, you know I think I think this is all uh, good fun um, I'd, I'd better finish I'd better finish off but I'll finish off with um I've got an article here that I clicked on a few weeks back. I just thought it was quite interesting. And it actually, um, while, we're, while I'm giving you these little insights into my own personal musical taste, I think my reaction to this article is will probably tell you a lot. Uh, maybe it'll tell you everything you need to know about Mr. Frank Burden and his taste in music. This is a BBC article from a... U- from a few years ago, which kind of popped up again in order to mark the 30th anniversary of Nirvana's seminal album, Nevermind. It's kind of a list of 19 albums that define 1991. 
And it turns out 1991 was a very good year for music. I was 11 years old at the time, so I probably discovered most of this stuff later on when I properly got into music, you know, when I was 14, 15, that sort of age. So slightly behind on some of this stuff. Nirvana. Now, here's a unpopular opinion, guys. <laughs> it's not an unpopular opinion. It's just an opinion. I don't particularly like Nirvana. Never have. Never really understood what the appeal was. Never mind. I thought was an okay record. Probably heard it a few times, just because you you couldn't really escape it in the nineties. You know, people used to play it um, all the time, and so you you would get to know those songs just from other people being into it. Yeah, I've just never never really got it. Never really understood what was so good about them. I thought they were okay. I thought Nevermind was an okay record, but. You know, I think there's something about the uh, the lyrical content. I don't the lyrics don't really speak to me in any meaningful way. I know that there's lots of people who do who feel very much that those lyrics and those those Nirvana records are uh, kind of great, kind of works of poetry and stuff. But you know, I don't think that they are. I suspect I suspect that um, the people who think that are possibly mistaken in thinking that it's a great work of art i know i'm making it sound like you know their opinion isn't valid i am fairly qualified to speak on these things i've got a degree in english literature and i've also got a master's degree in creative writing so you know i'm not just bragging about my achievements it it doesn't necessarily mean that much it's just that it means that i've spent a lot of time studying literature and poetry and stuff like that and when I look at Nirvana's lyrics, I just don't see anything there. I don't see anything that is particularly deep or meaningful or clever. You know, it, I mean, if you take Smells Like Teen Spirit, what is that song really about? It's, um, it, the words don't really make that much sense. Uh, there's something about some sort of vague ideas about alienation, but it's, doesn't seem that very well thought out i mean it's a it's a decent track you know it's a decent it's a decent tune and uh you know you can kind of you can rock out to it as they say <laughs> do they say that do they say rock out to it is that what they say <laughs> but i wouldn't describe those lyrics as being a great work of poetry you know same same with the other stuff i mean you know like i say never mind was an okay album in utero was terrible in my opinion really bad just really bad. I mean, they had that song Rape Me on it. What is that song about? I really don't understand that song at all. Well, I don't know. I mean, somebody tried to explain it to me once. I was just like, what is this? Why is he saying that? You know, there's a certain kind of shock value to it, perhaps, that, uh, you know, goes along with the whole punk aesthetic. Other people have done that very well. You know, the Sex Pistols were great at the the whole kind of using shock tactics as part of the music. And uh, I used to love the Sex Pistols. It just seemed to me that, you know, a song like Rape Me is, it doesn't even make any sense. What is he requesting? Is he requesting to be sexually assaulted? I don't understand it at all. And like I say, somebody tried to explain it to me. Oh, oh yes, it's not, it's not about that at all. It's about, it's about this other thing. It's about, it's, it's an act of redemption or, or something like that. I didn't understand a word of what the guy was saying. And I don't understand that song. I think it's a bad song. I think it's in very poor taste. And I don't think it's aged very well. And I didn't like that album at all in utero. I thought it was a bad album. But, you know, never mind was okay. So that's my opinion on Nirvana, (laughs) for what it's worth. And uh, let's have a look at the other 19 albums that define 1991. Um, let's see what else there was that year while Nirvana were doing their thing uh, Primal Scream, Screamadelica came out that year, what a brilliant album that is can't go wrong with that and that that's still you know, that has stood the test of time that one, if you listen to it now that's, that sounds very fresh great record Oh, Prince of the New Power Generation, Diamonds and Pearls oh yes yes, yes, yes there were some great albums in 1991 <laughs> Love Prince, absolutely love him. And uh, yeah, that, that, that was obviously him at his peak, I guess. 
um, Hole, Pretty on the Inside. I'm not sure if I've heard that album, but again, I wasn't really into the grunge thing. Uh, perhaps it was to do with the age that I was at, because I was 11 years old when all this stuff came out. And then, like a few years later, when I properly got into music, grunge had finished, really. And uh, it was all kind of over. And, you know, Kurt Cobain had died a few years before that, I guess. Tragic circumstances of Kurt Cobain's death. I've been quite disparaging about his music, but he was a very young man. You know, he was a very young man. It'd be interesting to see, I mean, this is a purely speculative, but had he lived and had he lived to be, you know, uh, lived into his 40s and 50s, what kind of music would he be making then? It just seems, it's very interesting, isn't it, that a lot of these big kind of musicians, they actually do their best work when they're very young and they get a little bit older and then they aren't as good anymore. What's that about? I mean, it's uh, by and large, it's the other way around with other art forms. I mean, I, I, was, I wasn't very good at all when I was in my early 20s when I was writing. You know, the writing I was doing was just not of the quality that it is now for obvious reasons that I was, you know, I hadn't learned how to do it and I hadn't had that many life experiences. Whereas you look at a lot of these musicians, I mean, you know, look at what Lennon and McCartney, their best work was when they were young. It's uh, as simple as that. Yeah, countless other examples. I mean, there are there are plenty of counter examples to that. I mentioned Jonathan Richman and he's he's doing amazing work right now. I mentioned Nick Cave earlier on, I think. Nick Cave's one of those artists who has improved year on year as time has gone on, and now he's absolutely amazing. His his current stuff is uh, really, really good. The Skeleton Tree album with Nick Cave. That's uh, amazing. And, uh, you know, who is to say? I mean, Kurt Cobain might have been doing, might have been making his, his best work at the age of 55, 56 or whatever, you know. We will never know, sadly. Massive Attack Blue Lines. What can I say about this? Fantastic. One of the all-time all time great albums. I'm sure that you will agree if you have heard it. Oh, what else? My Bloody Valentine, Loveless. Fantastic. I really like that one. I discovered that much later than 1991. I think I discovered it probably about 15 years later than from when it came out. I uh, fell in love with that. Uh, REM out of time. Well, I was never, never a big fan of REM to be honest. But um, I'll tell you what, I saw REM live at Glastonbury. They were brilliant. It was one of the best live shows I've ever seen in my life. And this is coming from someone who doesn't really care very much about REM. I really don't. I mean, listen to their recorded music. Just doesn't do it for me. I find it quite mediocre. It's not my, not my bag really. But yeah, seeing them live. Absolutely brilliant. What a great showman that uh, Michael Stipe is. He's fantastic at what he does. You can see why they're a big kind of stadium rock act when you actually go to see them. <laughs> you listen to the records, it's kind of like, okay. Yeah, whatever, whatever. St. Etienne, Fox Bass Alpha. Perhaps we've, um, we've forgotten about St. Etienne and we should be remembering them, maybe. Uh, great band, really like them. Um, 808 State, XL is the name of the album. I, I don't think I've heard this album actually. I mean, obviously big fan of 808 State. Apparently it's their third album. Uh, let's see what it says in the... Um... We are the music makers. If 808 State's third album's only achievement was to bring Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka into the sample canon, their achievement would be huge. <laughs> Who wrote this? <laughs> Oh, I know who wrote it. His name's there. I'm not going to say his name because I've, I've been disparaging about his journalism. I'm sure that uh, this man, whose name I'm not mentioning, is, is a very good journalist. And he's well, they've certainly picked out some good albums here. So you know, <laughs> I'm just I'm just being just being mean. Um, Blur Leisure, yeah, cool, cool, not bad. I mean, I, I don't think it's Blur's best album, but it's um, be interesting to hear that album now. Blur's Leisure. Um, haven't heard it for many, 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 many years. I wonder if it has stood the test of time in the same way that uh, Screamadelica has. Um, next one is Pearl Jam, 10. Um, again, not a uh, not a big fan of Pearl Jam. I know a lot of people are, but 
There we go. Teenage fan club, bandwagon-esque. They were great, Teenage fan club. Yeah, I really like those. I really like Teenage fan club. Cypress Hill at Cypress Hill. Now this is, but you know, I've so far I've been I've been dismissing all the American stuff and going yes to the British stuff. Now this is the proper American music that was coming out at this time, early '90s hip hop. These are the highlights of American music from the early '90s. Forget about the grunge scene. Look at the hip hop records that were coming out at this time. Cypress Hill's eponymous album, for example. And uh, Throwing Muses, another American one here. Throwing Muses, the real Ramona. I do like Throwing Muses, yeah. But they weren't really grungy, though, were they? They were kind of quite poppy, really. But uh, they were a great band, Throwing Muses. Oh, more hip-hop here. De La Soul. De La Soul is dead. I don't think I know this one particularly, actually, this particular album. I'm not sure which which, uh, which tracks it's got on it. I don't think I've I've listened to it, but, yeah, I might have to check that out. But yeah, obviously, De La Soul are, um, yeah, what can I say about De La Soul that hasn't been said? They're great. The Orb, Adventures Beyond the Ultra World. Yes. All right, this is, uh, this is right up my street. And this is another one. I, I, it's, it's quite recently I uh, listened to this again, uh, Adventures Beyond the Ultra World. Really is a brilliant album. And, um, again, it's... Uh, it still sounds fresh. It still sounds like a freshly made thing. Oh, right. A Tribe Called Quest. This is what I'm talking about. This era, early 90s era of American hip-hop. This is the business. Tribe Called Quest, the low-end theory. Great, 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 great. Orbital. The Orbital Green album. A lot of stuff. 1991. What, what a great year for music this was. Got the Orb, you got your Orbital got 808 state for uh, in in terms of electronic music this was when it was all happening this is a gr great time because uh, a lot of this stuff was is brand new and a lot of the sounds that people were making on these records hadn't been made by anyone properly you know not in this way anyway you know electronic music's been around for a, long before that it's very interesting actually listening to some of the early kind of experimental works from early 20th century but that they weren't these people weren't making kind of dance records though they were making kind of weird kind of electronic sounds with uh with the music they were making but it's kind of um you know if you listen to aphex twin it's not that different to what aphex twin does these kind of really old i'm trying to think of a name of one of the um guys who was doing this but can't think off the top of my head but but yeah, I mean, they weren't making dance music. They weren't doing what Orbital was doing, you know, and what, you know, the KLF were doing and stuff like that. So this, this was kind of brand new stuff that was coming out. Oh, and here we are. Talk about the KLF. Here they are, the White Room, the KLF album, which you can't get anymore. You can't get it anywhere. Well, what a brilliant band. I think um, if I was going to choose, if you held a gun to my head and asked me, who are the greatest band of all time, I would have to say the KLF. If you don't know who the KLF are, maybe you don't, maybe they're before your time, just check them out. You, you can, I say you can't get this album anyway, and you, you can't, they're not available on any streaming services or anything like that. If you go on Spotify, there's no KLF music on there, but uh, you can listen to their music on YouTube and you can see the old music videos as well, which are uh, quite a lot of fun. So I think that's I think YouTube is the only place you can actually get uh, KLF stuff. I don't know if you can buy the records anymore because they they took them all out of circulation. They're uh, quite eccentric guys, you know. Um, but yeah, absolutely phenomenal band. I really really love them, and I, I just love the fact that they were they had these huge hits, these number one hits, number one hit singles. But they were so kind of out there and so crazy. Um, but you can see what you can see why the records were big hits. It was such great, such great tunes. You know, it's a hugely entertaining band as well. There we go, KLF, and 1991. 1991. What a great year for music. If, uh, you know, apart from Nirvana, <laughs> apart, apart from uh, apart from um, <laughs> the point of the article was to celebrate Nirvana's Nevermind. 
which, um, you know, like I say, was all right. But, you know, look at all the other stuff that was coming out at the same time. So much great stuff at the same time. And everyone's going on about Nirvana, 30th anniversary of Nevermind. Look at all this other stuff, man. There was so much great music coming out at the same time. And some of it's been just completely forgotten about, really. I mean, how many people know about St. Etienne? And, you know, how many people have heard... I haven't even heard the 808 State album that's on here. I'm I'm sure it's absolutely brilliant. Um, Yeah, so there you go. What else can I say? I think we've covered a lot of ground here, haven't we? And um, I think I've run out of things to say about music. Well, to be fair, I've probably got lots more to say, but I've been going on for over an hour now, so maybe I should stop talking. That's episode 99 done. Please do listen out for episode 100. It is going to be fantastic. It is me and Uncle Claude presenting a huge extravaganza with some appearances from some past guests uh, who have been on the show and we're doing some lots of fun stuff, uh, kind of a bit of a retrospective type thing and playing some of my favourite music. Uh, Like I say, I will... Uh, I think I will play those two Herman Dune tracks that I mentioned earlier on and yeah, a whole bunch of other stuff we're going to put in there. So it's, it's going to be great. Thank you for listening. I have been Frank Burton. Please check out my website, frankburton.co.uk, which has all the details of my books, which you can buy or listen to the audiobook versions on Bandcamp. Also check out the Ragbag Rambler video series that is on the website as well. Uh, hook up with me on social media if you must at Ragbag Presents and also check out my other podcast I Like The Sound which is a wonderful thing see you for episode 100 the grand finale very very soon